Here's my Dayton Moore story. When Dayton came to the Royals as general manager, that was 2006. And it's obvious, looking back, that the Royals were terrible then. They lost 100 games pretty much every year. They did all sorts of really terrible but kind of comical things on the field. They were they were the bottom. They were the absolute bottom in professional baseball and maybe professional sports. But but here's the thing that you notice from the inside: the Royals had a lot of good people in that organization. They had a general manager in Allard Baird, great baseball man, uh, works for the Boston Red Sox now, a huge part of their success. Uh, they had a very very professional manager in Buddy Bell, a lifelong baseball guy. Father played baseball, grandfather played baseball. Loved the game, worked very hard, pro. They had a lot of people like that. So the organization, when you when you understood it from the inside, you saw there were a lot of good people working very hard. I and mean, there was incompetence and there was stupidity and mistakes made and all those things. But you really saw within the organization a lot of good people. And in a lot of ways, that made it more depressing because you started to think, how is this ever going to change? How is this organization ever going to win? If you see an organization where everybody is not even trying, there's there's just daily sense of, of doom, okay, you go, hey, we sweep these people out, get new people in, things are going to change. That wasn't the case with the Royals. And then Dayton Moore comes in 2006, and at the time he is by far the number one general manager prospect in baseball. Everybody in baseball admires him, what he did under John Scherholz with the Braves. He was huge in their minor league system, huge for their international scouting and and player development, Uh, was just the sort of the quintessential number one prospect. The the Red Sox were interested in him uh, when it looked like Theo might leave. So that situation was when he came, it wasn't just that, hey, will the Royals hire him? It was, would he even take the job? Because he had basically a limitless uh, menu of choices if he wanted them. So he took the job, and I was at the time the columnist for the Kansas City Star, and and he came in and, and we met for lunch, and I'll never forget this. And we were sitting there, and, and I had all of these questions, exactly as I'm sharing now. How in the world... Are you going to turn around this team? Uh, You know, good people have tried before. There's a money issue, but there's also the issue of of whether or not you can ever get people to come play here, whether you can ever get people to to stay in Kansas City. Uh, The fans felt very detached from the team. It was was just a mess. And he came in, and, and here was the thing I really remember, was I thought I was going to be interviewing him, but it really turned the other way around he ended up interviewing me the entire time. He kept asking me questions over and over again. What kind of town is Kansas City? What kind of baseball fans are here? Will these fans respond to a a team of of players who give their all? Will Will they stay with young players? Have they been so beaten down by the losing that, uh, you know, they really have lost any sense of enthusiasm or optimism about the team. And he just kept asking me a lot of questions uh, about the town and about the team. And and I realized then that he was going to go about this in a very different way. He, he had in his mind a goal 
that he was going to try to reach, but he was going to try to reach it through what the Kansas City Royals mean, what they have meant to the city, what they have meant in their history going back to the 70s and 80s when they were very good. He was going to try to build on those things. And those were viewed by many people as negatives when he came. But he had this vision in mind and, you know, he brought that vision to life. And I think that's the most impressive part. It's not just that the Royals have won the World Series, not just that they've won a couple of American League pennants in a row. It's that the fans are, you know, Kansas City's as good a baseball town as there is in the country right now. It's that the television ratings have skyrocketed to, you know, they're number one in baseball right now in television ratings per, you know, when you talk about share of audience, it's the, the Royals mean something to people. It's, you know, you, there have been some other teams that have won a uh, world series over the last few years, like the white Sox and, and uh, the Marlins and, and so on where it didn't carry over into what the team represented. You know, they won the world series and, and it was a championship, but what Dayton Moore has built is he's reinvented what the Kansas city Royals mean. And I give him a lot of credit for that. So in our first episode of podcast stories, I asked Dayton Moore to tell a few uh, apologies in advance. There is probably going to be a little buzzing in here. Uh, we, we did this interview at surprise uh, spring training uh, site for the Royals and uh, there were cutting the grass behind us. So I began by asking Dayton Moore to tell one of my favorite stories about him at the table early in his career with John Sherholtz. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was actually uh, my first uh, couple weeks in the office in Atlanta. You know, uh, they had brought me in from being an area scout uh, in the mid-Atlantic states, and uh, it was right around, um, actually it was in August, and we were getting ready to try to build our, our bench for the uh, the playoffs. And um, I forget who the player was. I think we were trying to get a left-hand hitter, and they were asking for three of our players in the minor leagues. And uh, John, who often and, and just does so well, gets everybody's opinion. He's an expert at that. And uh, it came my turn, and he asked me my opinion. And I told John, well, John, I, I haven't seen the players, and um, so I really can't give an, an opinion about that. Well, John didn't show me up. He didn't embarrass me. But afterwards, he asked me to stick around, and uh, he reminded me in his his very direct way that it was my job to make sure that I knew about the players and could give my opinion based on the judgments of others in our organization and he also went on to say Dayton I haven't seen those players either and I have to ultimately make the decision so I rely on your input and others input to, to have uh, strong opinions and convictions um, about the players although you you know haven't seen them you know, uh, either. I mean, every scout, the scouts and organizations oftentimes haven't seen each and every one of those players either. And so it's John's job to piece it together and he needs good judgment. So uh, I was reminded very early on in my career that uh, you, you better, um, you know, know what you're talking about and uh, it, it's your job, your responsibility to, to have uh, strong convictions uh, about, uh, you know, the players in your organization. Well, as a as general manager now, do you do you find yourself revisiting that? Do you find yourself, you know, because now 
there are plenty of times that you'll be asking guys, hey, I, I just want an opinion. I say it all the time. And, and um, you know, I'll, we'll be in meetings with our scouts. And every, every year, whether it be at the winter meetings or the trade deadline, you know, when we get together as a, as a group, one of our scouts will say, well, you know, I can't really comment on this player because I haven't seen him, but I have seen the other player. And I oftentimes will, will say it um, – not as um, I would say politically correct as John did, and, and privately sometimes I'll emotionally say, "Well, I haven't seen him either," and uh, but I need to make a decision here. So it's your job to to be able to give me some some input. So yeah, I, I learned that lesson and have been able to utilize that uh, in this current position. When when you're uh, asking around, when you're asking, you know, basically for opinions. What is sort of your reaction, and I've asked you this before, but what is your reaction when somebody gives you sort of a halfway answer where they're kind of like, well, if, if this works out, it'll be okay, or, you know, but they don't give you sort of a convicted answer? Well, it's, it's troubling because um, you, you want, um, you want your, your people, your scouts, your employees, your, your, your development people to have strong convictions. And, and if they don't know, I would just simply say, you know what, I don't know, I need to find out more information. And, um, but uh, you want uh, those strong convictions. You, you want to uh, have the trust. Uh, and the only way you gain that trust is to have people that are able to you know, qu- you know, qualify what they're saying. Because it's my job ultimately to validate the judgment of of others uh, before we make a decision. I also know that I'm I'm virtually paralyzed to make a decision without the, the good recommendation of our scouts and our development people and our front office uh, uh, personnel. I mean, I, I need their judgment and their opinions to make an informed decision. You know, I I tend to think of storytelling as something that goes beyond just telling a story. When you to me, what you do. Especially when you have players and you see them, they have to have their. There's a story that goes with them. There's a story. It's a story about their life. It's a story about their their particular talents. But it's a story that you have to follow all the way through. So so for you building that, you know, trying to figure out, you know, when you're when you're drafting a player, when you're when you're you watching a player through the minor leagues, or when you're training for a player, how important is it for you to sort of know their story, you know, in whatever way that might be. Well, very important. And, you know, I'm, I'm often, you know, think of, you know, every player has a story and it begins with a scout. A scout is the one that had the vision for that, that talented player and uh, was able to communicate to the organization, the scouting director, on what this player will ultimately become. And um, so it, it, it's so crucial, so important to know, you know, where the players come from, um, you know, how they were raised, um, uh, what type of family, who their mentors were, so you can connect with the player and, 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 and ultimately get the right influences around that player to help them grow and become a man. And uh, because the players that are most successful uh, and consistent uh, with producing they they grow up fast. I mean, they're men, and they they're they're able to manage their personal lives well. They make good choices about you know how to prepare and and, and the importance of being a good teammate. And uh, you can't influence, you can't impact, you can't help grow them as individuals unless you know uh, what they're about, where they came from, and uh, and who they want to become. One of my favorite stories with you is. So we we met we actually met earlier, but when you became general manager of the Royals in 2006, uh, 
we met and uh, and had a had a lunch and we were sitting there talking about what this team could become and and you're from the very start it was always for you about the kinds of people that you were bringing in I mean that was that was so clear from the beginning I remember you asking me at the time tell me about Kansas City what is Kansas City about it was almost like you were interviewing me uh, but one of the things I remember most was uh, you talking about the plaza and talking about how that was the perfect place for the World Series parade and you were already in your mind were thinking like that you already were thinking and, and you and I both know World Series is not the goal the goal is to get better and better and better but you already in your mind were going boy this town is going to feel transformed when things start to turn so I want you to tell me a little bit about the night that you win the World Series and I see you there and but you're you know everything is flying around what what was what were you thinking? What was what was happening in your mind that well, night? Well, when I saw you, I, re, I was reminded that you predicted we'd win the World Series in two, 2015. So that uh, that was kind of amazing right there. But uh, you know what? It just um, the thing that um, you reflect upon is the journey, and uh, you know all of the the relationships that you're able to build and, and persevere through during those uh, those building years. But I, you know, I, I just the, the, the first thing I thought of was our families, and uh, you know, my family, uh, Marianne and our kids, and then you know, all of our, our leadership team's families, all the sacrifice and time away, and uh, that 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 uh, that they experience uh, in this game, and uh, how much joy and unity that you know it not only brought them, but brought our entire city and our entire fan base, and you know, going through the off season uh, in Kansas City and uh, being able to listen to people uh, talk about you know where they were the stories and how you know hey look you know I hadn't spent any time with my son in you know the last four or five years and because he's busy with his own life and his own family and they're on the, the you know the west coast but during that period he came out and we you know we went to baseball games together and uh, you know we shared uh, you know experiences and we shared the past and it you know it brought us together so, and that's what that's what baseball should do and um, so I'm very very blessed and fortunate that we were able to, you know, create that you know, type of environment, uh, and so families could enjoy, you know, our great game. Well, it's such an emotional thing, especially for a place like Kansas City that had not won for so long. I know you met my mother-in-law, for instance. So my mother-in-law is a lifelong Royals fan, going all the way back to 1969, and she just stayed with it. It wasn't a question for her of, hey, the team's not winning, so I'm going to pay it less attention. It was always. It was ingrained in her life, and there's just so many people that you've heard from. That's that is what they will tell you is that, hey, I'm a, you know, my 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 in-laws are farming people, you know, in in a small town, but I'm, you know, people who who worked in factories in Kansas City or people who were doctors in 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 Topeka, you know, these people, the Royals were just a part of their lives, right. and you probably have heard so much from those people who were just saying. I never thought this was going to happen. No, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I think really frustrated our fan base is the Royals have always been a part of um, the lifestyle of, of the people of Kansas City and throughout Kansas and Missouri and Iowa and, and Nebraska and all the small towns, the Dakotas. And and what was so frustrating is the Royals had, had, had lost for so many years. So although they grew up as, as Royals fans, and we, as, as we all know, the Royals were a very easy team to root for in the, the late 70s and the 80s. They were a model organization. and But what was happening was their kids and their grandkids were Phillies 
Phillies fans and Braves fans and Yankees fans and Dodgers fans, and they were rooting for the teams that were winning, just like we did when we were little boys. Sure. And so you could understand the frustration within those families and, again, wanting to be able to share those experiences of, of Freddie Patek and Frank White and George Brett and Amos Otis and Paul Splitorf and Brett Saberhagen. And, you know, I can go on and on with Willie Wilson and, and uh, Big John Mayberry and Dennis Leonard. And, and that they wanted to share those moments uh, with their kids and their grandkids. Well, they weren't happening. And um, so to be able to be a part of that and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and be able to see, you know, families come together and talk about the game and grow the game, you know, throughout Kansas City and our region because of the success of the team has been very rewarding. All right, I want to ask you one more story because one of the key players on this team is Eric Hosmer at first base. And I remember when you drafted Eric Hosmer, and, and it was right after you drafted Mike Moustakas, who was a similar to this way. Those guys sort of grew up knowing that they were sort of, they had, they, their responsibility was to bring the Royals back. They were going to be part of the team that brought the Royals back. But you actually had that talk with him even before you drafted him, right? We did. You know, J.J. Piccolo and I went down and uh, sat with Eric and his family, and we, we wanted to make sure they understood that, look, you may not know a lot about the Royals, but the Royals once were a model organization in baseball, and that's where we vision to return. And we need you and other players to be a part of this, and uh, we, we need you to, to embrace doing something special, something that most people uh, in the industry, most people in the game don't think can happen, uh, but we feel that you're the type of baseball player, you're the type of person uh, that's going to uh, embrace that, you're going to relish that and you know part of the relentlessness of this group the comeback wins the way they play i mean a lot of it i think can be attributed to the relentlessness of our area scouts being able to look at a guy like eric hosmer and say you know what this guy loves the game so much he'll do whatever it takes uh, to go out and win together as a group and um but we knew that we had to be very transparent. There's no sense sugarcoating anything, Paz. Had to tell it like it was. And this was, uh, even the, the people that we brought on board when we hired, we said, you know what? This is perhaps the greatest challenge in all of sports today. With the economics of the way baseball is, the way this organization, the, the state that it is in right now, and you know how great the Twins are, and the White Sox you know, won a world championship. And, and uh, you know, just, it's gonna be very, very difficult. And, uh, but we need you to to commit we didn't sugarcoat anything and we, I think most people if you just tell them like it is they're great competitors and you know, they, they want to be the ones to to be a part of that you know, that special moment and um, and our guys have responded well I want to thank Dayton Moore for joining me uh, on podcast stories uh, I'll leave you with one more I asked Dayton Moore what he thought you, you might have heard that several of the statistical based, uh, prediction systems like Pakoda is probably the most famous one. Uh, again, pick the Royals to lose uh, a lot of games this year and not make the playoffs. And that's what they've done for the last two years. And the Royals have obviously uh, beaten the system both times. Uh, and I asked Dayton about that. And, and you know, there, for some reason, people always assume that the Royals are very anti-statistical, anti-numbers, anti-sabermetrics. Uh, uh, and they're really not. I think they, they certainly have a tremendous sabermetric department, um, but they also will talk openly about some of the other things like heart, dedication, chemistry, and all that that, uh, that some people roll their eyes at. So I asked him uh, what he thought about 
uh, Pakoda and some of the other systems picking the team to lose this year again, even though they've won back-to-back American League championships in a World Series. And uh, he said, you know, we're not trying to prove anything wrong. Uh, we'd prefer it if those systems would pick us to win. So that's one way to look at it. I'm Joe Posnanski. Thanks so much for joining us.